it has officially been a year in quarantine. Like I think it, it was either today or technically today, because Friday the 13th last year, we sort of had a full day of school. We got sent home after the 13th. It's been an entire year, which is insane. Not much has happened though, personally, like around the world, for sure, 100%. But personally, I've not done a lot this past year at all. Same. Yeah. Well, as compared with other years. For sure, for sure. I think, I mean, starting the podcast is probably like the only thing that I feel I've been successful with over quarantine. Um, today's Pi Day. Today is Pi Day, as we record it, not as we send it out. Today is Pi Day, and so we got apple pie to celebrate. It, it was on sale at a grocery store that I went to. It's so. the first major holiday that we're celebrating twice in quarantine. Is it? It's not a major holiday. Well, I mean, you don't get the day off, but everyone knows about Pi Day. Not everyone. Everyone, whenever, okay, so my brother has this, like, pumpkin pie hat with, like, whipped cream on top that he, like, gallivants around his, his school with, and people always, every year, ask him, like, why are you wearing that? And he explains that it's 314, and it's pie day. No, nobody, I don't think anybody has the same expectation for pie days. you do. Last year I wasn't able to wear it because it was Saturday and this year it's Sunday. Yeah. And we're in quarantine, so well yeah. Yeah. How many years do you think this is gonna go on? Like, I don't know. Hopefully the vaccine is I wanna measure it in years. <laughs> I'm fine measuring it in months. How many more months do you think we're gonna be here? Really putting me on the spot. Um I mean at best, we're going back to school next month, but I highly a lot of, doubt that. Yeah, we there is still a lot of data that is going to be coming out between now and next month. Yeah, I really, I mean, I want to go back to school, but I just, I do not see that happening for still a while. I think until everybody is vaccinated, well, not everybody, but a, a majority of people are vaccinated, it's going to be pretty hard. To do anything normally again. So, however, I feel like there's been a lot of speculation that I keep hearing of, oh, we're never gonna go back to normal or this is the new normal. And I feel like that's kind of crazy to say because I remember learning about Shakespeare and see, see how I tied that in? Yeah. Shakespeare and how there's a pandemic and he had to shut down the globe, the old globe. I think so. Yeah. yeah his Shakespeare's theater um, for two years because of the pandemic and obviously he reopened it life went on. Did he? I think he did, right? I if think he didn't, then everything's gonna fail. Yeah, but I, I think life will go on. I think things will return back to normal. Pandemics have happened before life went on, so... Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, this took us three and a half minutes to get into, <laughs> but this is a pessimist and optimist, optimist podcast where we analyze fine art, literature, and everything in between from an optimistic point of view and a pessimistic point of view. My brother's job. And my name is Michael. And I'm William. And I help him. 
We nailed it. First try. We got it today. Oh my gosh, that is so exciting. The past three times we've recorded this, I'm always like, I'm Michael, and then I like point at him, and then seven seconds later, he's like, oh, me, oh, I'm William. <laughs> so, um, today, we are planning on doing two segments because I wanted to extend the runtime of this episode a little more. In the first segment, we are going to be looking at 10 pieces. 10 art pieces, arguably, arguably, the 10 most um, popular pieces of art from the Renaissance, at least. Uh, Actually, just the top Google results for famous art pieces, because these, as I'm looking at them, they're all Western, so I assume there are a lot of, yeah, that's a significant bias. Yeah, and I'm, it's probably, it's almost all of them, I think, are European origin yeah so uh there's one in here that's american um, at least one but yeah yeah okay so that is 100 thank you for correcting me on that western famous pieces of artwork um and then in segment two this is the second time of us recording our second episode it takes us a while to really get into the group to record things um so last week we created our own story to analyze and it did not go well. It was absolutely crazy and it was just, it was too weird that I feel like it would not be perceived well by an audience. So we decided to exit it, but- For now, you might hear it for eventually. Now. Yeah, or we might like make it a full on book or something. <laughs> but for now, we are going to just briefly discuss it and explain why we decided not to publish it in uh, segment two. And then I think we're going to wrap it up with a list of dad jokes as my brother tries to make me laugh. And as soon as, like, I laugh, we're just going to have, like, a really weird cut and end it. Yeah. Sounds great. Perfect. Okay, I think to start off this segment, what we could do is we could name all... We will as we're analyzing, tell you the name of the piece, but to give the viewers an idea of what's ahead, list all 10 pieces that we're going to be analyzing. Yeah. Uh, the first one we're going to do is Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. Second one is The Starry Night by Van Gogh. Third one is... Oh, great. The uh, Last Guernica by oh, Pablo Picasso. <laughs> um, I hope I didn't butcher that. Um, Number four is Girl with the Pearl Earring by Vermeer. Number five is The Last Supper, uh, uh, also by Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, Sixth is Birth of Venus by Botticelli. Seventh is The Persistence of Time by Salvador Dali. The eighth is American Gothic by Grant Wood. The ninth is The Creation of Adam by Michelangelo. And the tenth is A Sunday Afternoon by Seurat. Yes, I also think I also to be very clear before in the previous in the in the intro i think i completely butchered what i wanted to say these are by no means the most important pieces of art or the only pieces of art or the most beautiful pieces of art these are simply the google's recommendations of the most famous pieces of art i know there are several several cultures that have created insanely beautiful art I've been studying art history this year, and I'm well aware, and I'm so sorry, I did not mean to offend anybody. Um, so yeah. 
So should we get started with um, Mona Lisa? Mona Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So right now we are discussing the Mona Lisa by Da Vinci, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The Mona Lisa. So um, just gonna read from the Wikipedia page. Um, considered an archetypal masterpiece of the Italian Renaissance, it has been described as the best known, the most visited, the most written about, the most sung about, the most parodied work of art in the world. The painting's novel qualities include the subject's enigmatic expression, the monumentality of the composition, the subtle modeling of forms, and the atmospheric illusionism. I'm so sorry, just to say something quickly. Everybody I know who's like a visited Louvre to see the Mona Lisa is always like, it's so small, it's so tiny. So I actually, um, not today, but previously I've looked up a, pe- uh, a picture of the, the Mona Lisa compared to another human. And I guess my perception has been more accurate because I totally feel like it would be about this big, whereas Oh, sorry, you can't see. But I definitely sort of assumed that the Mona Lisa was a lot smaller than I think a lot of people did. I think in Hollywood, we see it as this grand painting. But um, I don't know. I've always... About one square foot as opposed to four or six square feet. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's really not important at all. But um, the way this is going to work is we're just going to analyze every small piece of the piece <laughs> and um just decide whether we think it's optimistic pessimistic how it relates to the subject to the um, artist and yeah i think is there anything else to say before we actually it looks like i made a mistake it's 30 inches by 21 inches so that's about 600 so almost exactly four square feet isn't that pretty standard though for like I don't know, when I think of Renaissance, I don't think of, like, huge. I feel like everything was smaller. I don't know, maybe I'm going crazy. It's, it's certainly larger than a tablet, but it's less than oh, the size of a wall. Yeah, no, and I, I think people think of it as more of, like, a, a six by three canvas or something, in a way that I just never really assumed, so. Or I guess it's more of a, like, a eight by six or whatever. I think, I think they know what I'm trying to say. Okay, um, starting off strong, the Mona Lisa's iconic complexion of this, like, weird, her eyes are dead serious, but she has a glimpse of, like, a smile. Um, I, there's something, it's kind of like one of those weird things when your, your parents are upset with you, but then, like, you do something that makes them ever so happy, and so, or ever, ever so slightly happy, so they're trying to remain the sort of like upset facial expression, but like a grin is just peeking through. Um, so I think it's, I don't know, I don't feel like it's unseen before, but it is really, it's one of the first things everybody thinks about when they hear the Mona Lisa, I believe. Um, so the painting is supposed, uh, or we believe it is of the noblewoman Lisa Okay. Gerardini, the wife of Francesco del Giocondo. So, I mean, it, it's a picture, or a painting of Lisa Gerardini. That's the entire picture, just so you know, if you've never seen another Lisa. 
yeah and honestly um oh i'm sorry this is like a complete 180 talking about something completely different i agree with um i agree with what you just said i, I back up what you just said um <laughs> uh i i've watched i think together actually we watched a documentary about the mona lisa and the creation of the mona lisa and da vinci's life it's da vinci right yes okay i'm sorry i keep going crazy um and wasn't this one of the times that da vinci really was prosperous and had the fact that he had people asking him to make portraits for him i'm not i think that i if i were you probably remember that better than i do I, I think he was requested by her husband to make the portrait. This is in no way factual. This is my memory of a documentary I watched. But then again, we never know. Like, it, it anything could have really happened. But I know that all of his students tried to recreate this piece. And there's over, like, 210 copies, I think, between Da Vinci and all of his students trying to make this the perfect picture that it is today and I, I I think it's really funny I think it's how tastes have changed since the renaissance but I feel like some of the other variations are more aesthetically pleasing than this one that has rose to popularity they're all very similar but the, there's slight difference in hues and facial expression and posture in the subject and I, I think it's interesting that this one was chosen and I think it really is a good way to represent what was considered ideal ideal in beauty during the renaissance so and yeah if, if my art history teacher is listening to that this is an idealistic painting um, <laughs> um so i definitely as far as the time in the life of da vinci i think this was one of his better times i'm, I'm not positive i know everybody's life is filled with ups and downs i think this was more of an up but i, I could be wrong um, I definitely, though, there, there were, I mentioned earlier that there were other variations of this piece, and no other variation, the background seemed to be as light. They all seem to be either night or just deeper colors, if that makes sense. Um, so honestly, I think the light, and you can see the sun, the sun is reflecting on her skin. She's really, uh, lit up, if that makes sense. I really, I think this is representing happiness in whether the job whether in different G's life it seems to be very positive to me especially because of the mona lisa of uh, oh you said her name earlier lady lisa lady lisa giardini lisa giardini <laughs> in history seems to have been known for not being incredibly happy so the fact that she is smiling is kind of impressive i, I think it relates to Da Vinci being happy, and since he was happy, his subjects being happy to work with him. Um, so, also, if going back to I mentioned the documentary, I don't think this portrait was filmed in front of the landscape. I think, or not filmed, sorry, painted in front of the landscape. I think he painted Gore uh, Da Vinci, Gore Da Vinci, Garadini, Garadini, sorry, Garadini. And then later put the landscape on. 100% what I think I remember, not factual. But I think that could have to do a lot with his mood and it being beautiful and 
and lit up definitely, I think, speaks to his happiness at the time of creation. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, I don't want to insult anyone, but she still just looks like she's sitting down to me. Well, I mean, I, I can give you that. I think, I mean, posing in the sun in the layers of clothing she's wearing, I don't feel like anybody would be particularly happy, especially like, imagine being ordered by your husband, like you are going to have this portrait or a portrait, portrait painted of you. Now go sit outside in the sun with these clothes on and you have no choice whether you get to do it or not. I don't feel like anybody would 100% be happy. But the fact that she even has a glimmer of a smile, I think means that Da Vinci either said a joke or had a, just an uplifting personality while he was painting Mona Lisa. Do, do I have to do pessimistic for you? There's so many things I could say. Um, well, <laughs> um, if you look at the painting there, uh, <laughs> she's wearing dark clothes. This could be interpreted as having recently gone to a funeral. Also, it might have just been in the middle of winter, and so cold, warm clothes wearing. Uh, this is really great. This is I going spectacular. I feel so bad following up my brother because he's doing the AP class for this. And I'm just <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, I can make stuff up, but... No, no, no. I can't. The, the trick is you make stuff up and you sound confident in what you've made up. The fact that she has orange fingers implies that she probably was eating Cheetos sometime around the painting of this portrait. Well, it didn't have to do more with either picking or gardening or eating t- tomatoes, possibly, of staining your... I'm reasonably confident it's Cheetos. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, definitely near... I mentioned earlier that there's a possibility that the, the lady and the background were painted at different times. I think that there are... There's a lot of darkness definitely near the bottom of the painting surrounding the woman that could be more so of his negative demeanor and negative feelings towards creating this piece. And then as he had more artistic freedom, there was more light, more happiness represented. So, yeah. Oh, no, 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 100%, 100%. But no, no art history teacher <laughs> thinks that it was just painted black because the dress was black. There is a reason that the dress was black. The fact that her shirt is this slightly dark green, as compared with the cloak being a purple, might not be aging. It's probably that royalty, green, envy. Well, I definitely, I think a lot of times in artwork, women are considered beautiful when they are fertile and they can, that is, that is what history has told us. I'm not saying that is what defines someone's beauty. But I definitely think this is a piece of femininity, empowerment, fertility. And, and that is a common theme in a lot of our pieces, but... So, 
Should we move on to the next piece? Yeah. Okay. All right. And the next piece is the Starry Night by Van Gogh. I feel like this one's gonna be easier for you. This is more pessimistic, right? Didn't he commit suicide after making this? Like three hours after he finished it, he like jumped off the bridge or something. I don't know. Um, I'm sorry, that is not me trying to make a joke out of suicide. It's just sort of funny in the context of it be, I don't know. I'm not trying to justify suicide by any means. Doesn't look like it. I don't know where I heard that then. I could have sworn it was, I don't know. I might be completely wrong, but. Never. All right, the starry night. Um... There looks to be... Aren't you going to read the Wikipedia paragraph then? Oh, okay. Starry Night is an oil-on-canvas painting by Dutch post-impressionist painter Vincent van Gogh. Van Gogh. <laughs> In June 1889, it depicts the view from the east-facing window of his asylum room at... Forget though, we're going with the Saint van Gogh. de Provence. <laughs> just before sunrise, with the addition of an imaginary village. It has been in the prominent collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. The the Met, the Vogue, Van Gogh, oh my gosh, it's a conspiracy. Since 1941, acquired through the Willie P. Bliss bequest, widely regarded as Van Gogh's magnum opus, The Starry Night is one of the most recognized paintings in Western art. Oh, that is a good... These are 10 of the most recognized paintings in Western art. That is a good way to word it. Should that become the title? Like, no, that's too bland. Or too... Bad. Okay. Do you want to go first? Cause I... So, the painting has a tree. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a tree. Trees are positive things, Joe. Then it is the Dark Lord's Castle and it goes into the heavens and he's using his wind powers to blow the city down i don't know you're um, so good at this i'm actually like do you want me to take over for a little bit i mean at worst it's a cathedral that is completely dark in the sunrise but oh like, do you mean the black subject oh yeah i have no idea what that is oh i can I feel like the subject is more of the sky, and that's sort of just to break the piece apart. Oh. Does that make sense? I don't think that has a huge importance. It, I could be wrong, but... Right, uh, even if it's not important, like, you'd think you'd make it slightly more obvious it's a tree or something. That is true. It is a weird shape. I'd always thought it was a building. But now that you say tree, if you look at the other buildings in the background, they're a lot more detailed. So I have no idea what that's supposed to be. Regardless, the painting has a giant black thing close to the foreground, but the focus is actually on the background, which is kind of strange. Um, Oh, there's another piece where there seems to be a perch of lamb sort of overlooking. No, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> um, and in the sky, there is a bottom white layer of, I assume, fog. 
it could be mountains, then the Starry Night is done with sweeping strokes. So it could be interpreted as far off mountains in the fog, or it could be the fog itself. Um, I'm going to help you for a second. You just <laughs> okay, mentioned, thank you. you mentioned the strokes. So everybody believes that this is Van Gogh now, right? Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Correct. Van Gogh. Okay. Van Gogh was most likely very upset while painting this because the brush strokes are very flustered and aggressive. Um, you can sort of see that in the painting. I've heard it's more evident in real life, but the abnormality, abnormality, is abnormality. Abnormality. No, it's abnormality. Abnormality of the strokes and how imperfect, if you will, it seems to suggest this was more of passion than it was skill. Um, so regarding the actual artist, this is not a very happy, positive thing. This is probably very upset. And maybe that's where I was getting the suicide from. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, sorry. So there's a mountain, um, and there yeah, seems to be one big star. This possibly could be the sun. That's the moon, Chuck. It's a crescent. But I, I don't know. It could be a weird shading. Okay, apparently it's the moon. Um, the rest of the big yellow things are probably stars, <laughs> considering it's called Starry Night. Um, I kind of... Michael torturing William for 100 <laughs> minutes straight. <laughs> uh, okay, let me take over for you, because I'm, I'm... Then there's a big clap. Gorgeous. Okay. If we were to look at this optimistically, a lot of paintings in the Renaissance, in real life, in real life, in modern times, are a lot darker when we're discussing something night-related. They'd be, the, the background would be several, several shades darker to suggest that it is nighttime. And I think the huge emphasis on stars, beacons of light, beacons of positivity, light and light, is usually used in cases of happiness, positivity, uh, of fertility, virtue. Those are cases in which yellow and whites are used to highlight aspects. I definitely do think that is the moon. It seems to be a very crescent shape, but the moon can definitely be regarded as a symbol of wisdom. I, I sort of, you, Owls, Athena, the moon sort of have a similar meaning of wisdom, of authority. And I think that is definitely the main focus as far as the sky, I think, is supposed to be on the moon. And then this wispy cloud, almost, that incorporates a lot of light into the piece. And I think that's the reason there is that weird black blob tree-looking thing is to sort of emphasize how much lighter the sky is in comparison to the trees. Because obviously at night, we've all been in the room. We've seen that as the sun sets, things get a lot darker. They appear a lot darker. And so it's really offsetting. Offset, sorry. <laughs> it offsets the background of light hues to emphasize how much positivity has been incorporated into the piece. Also, the village doesn't seem to 
have anything crazy going on. It seems to be very normal. There seems to be some agriculture, agriculture, sorry, my voice is, agriculture taking place. And there seems to be a lot of green used in green agriculture, generally a good sign. It might represent success within the village and happiness. But another thing to make note of is they did say, and this is according to Wikipedia, it could be fake. Oh no, it has three citations, so it's probably real. That is an imaginary village. I assume it is. It might be there now, but at the time of painting, it probably was not. Okay, so he so... ad-libbed, if you will, that. Yeah. Doesn't that suggest even more positivity yeah, than if I, it was? I didn't. I mean, yeah. Well, I think if now I'm helping your side, I guess. But yeah. Just something if, to make note of. If that were ad-libbed, I feel like it could be a lot easier to sort of have the house on fire and all of the agriculture is brown and things just aren't going great. But if he added it in and it's so positive, it might be another sort of reassurance that there is positivity, positivity within the DNA of the piece. Sorry, I'm more used to subjects that are human, so I'm really not sure how to go about this. Next piece, hey. <laughs> um, what is the next piece? Guernica. Guernica. I have never seen this piece in my life. You seriously have? It's Guernica. I've never heard of Guernica before. I love this. I'm literally an art history student, and I'm like, I don't know what Guernica is. It's demonic at best. What? Demonic? Yes, do you not see? How is this not demonic to you? They're just like separate bull heads on rectangles. Do you not see the like screaming malas pointed at the sky like help? That suggests deity. That suggests deity, which confirms- There's an eye and the iris is a light bulb. If there is the presence of a deity, it confirms demonic almost, because generally most religions have a positive and a bad uh, greater power, so. There is like a weird ghost head that seems to be swooping around causing chaos. This is insane. And is this like a painting of a painting at a museum with spectators? Or, no, 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 that's just the piece I'm looking at. Or, or the picture I'm looking at, okay. Wow. Um, all right, so, Guernica, Spanish. Guernic, Guer, Guern, what? Guernica, what? Okay, it looks like it's pronounced Guernica, so I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Hey. Guernica, from the old Spanish name for the city of, you won't believe this, Guernica, Oh, creative <laughs> titling, I see you. Is a large 1937 oil painting on canvas by Spanish artist Pablo Picasso. One, two. Oh, those are citations, sorry. It is uh, one of the one of his best-known works regarding by, regarded by many art critics as the most moving and powerful anti-war painting in history. It's anti-war? Anti what? I am not getting anti-war from this. Is exhibited in the Museo Reina Sofia in Madrid. Ooh, I like Madrid. It's fun. 1937. So, um, something important to know is, well, Americans were not in, yet in World War II. 
World War II had definitely begun. Do, do you just know that off the top of your head, or is that pointed out? Oh, I did know that off the top of my head, but... I have no idea when World War II is. That's so bad. That's so bad, I feel like I should know that. Okay, well, another important thing to know is there was a pause in between World War One and World War Two, but... Oh, no, no. It was yeah. not a different war by any means. It was pretty much the same war. Okay, looking at this, I'm I'm kind of... I guess the time period is why it's suggested as anti-war, but to me, this doesn't seem to be promoting peace or anti-violence. It seems to be very much like... I, I guess it's how you interpret it of being like, oh, this is horrific, I don't want that to happen. But to me, this seems to be more promoting sort of this behavior. It, it doesn't seem to be war-related because there's like bull men running around and there's a ghost and there's almost like an evil eye from Turkish culture. Um, I mean, I'm gonna feel really bad saying this right after you said that, but uh, Picasso painted Guernica at his home in Paris in response to the bombing of Guernica, a Basque country town in northern Spain, by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy at the request of the Spanish nationalists. So, this probably was very much anti-war. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the time period it would make sense, but right now in a time of a lot of peace around the world, I'm, I'm not saying by any means no perfect, but it's weird. It, it does not seem to be. It seems to be very James Bond almost. Like when they try to stop the operation and everything just starts going wrong and a hundred just CIA officers are shot and killed. That is, it's giving me the same energy as that. I don't think of that as anti-violence. I sort of think people find entertainment in violence and I feel that is what this is giving me a lot more of. It probably makes use of a form of perverse sarcasm to show violence. I call that the landlady. I'm sorry. And, and Roald Dahl, or Roald Dahl, Roald Dahl has this interview explaining the landlady, and he's like, oh, it was such a funny story. If you're unfamiliar with the story, a landlady who is um, mentally ill poisons her clientele and then treats them like her children. There's also some sexual innuendos, but like, not, <laughs> there are, okay. near the end, not all that's throughout the story, but it's very creepy, especially knowing that she sort of sees her dead clientele as her children. It's really messed up, it's not funny, but I guess if we are going to use sarcasm, then yeah, ha, anti-violence. <laughs> Sorry. It's definitely, I see how it definitely does look like wartime because everybody's sobbing and like staring up at the ground and shrieking. And there seems to be a lot of uh, paranormal activity, if you will. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, speaking of bombing, I feel like the tail of the cow of the bull, I feel like it looks a lot more like steam than that of a cow tail. Which I think might be sort of aftermath of the bombing. Do you think that's unfair? I feel no, it's not unfair. 
when looking at this, unlike the other pieces I think we're going to talk about, um, perhaps with the exception of one or two, you can't look at it all at once and try and understand what's going on. 100%. You really have to look at each individual area first, and even then you still probably won't know what's going on. Yeah. He definitely... Picasso, right? Yes. Yes. Picasso uses um, the... Oh, I forget the terminology, the proper terminology, but he... Surrealism. No, it, it's like you have so much going on that you have to keep looking at the piece. Like, it, it forces your eyes to move in a circular motion around the piece so that you stay focused on it and nothing else. I know, I think the Romans used it when they were recreating Greek, um, oh, what are they called? Like, coffins, but for kings. Tombs. No. Sarcophagi. Uh, Greek sarcophagi and there's this crazy battle scene where all these warriors are like overlapping each other and you can't look at it all at once and it's used so that you keep looking at it in that case it was sort of so that you kept paying reverence if you actually didn't care about that person but it looked to society like you were interested and you felt bad and so that was a really long rant for how unimportant that really is but I don't. I guess the only optimistic thing about this is its cries for nonviolence, but if you were just to look at the piece, I would never assume this is nonviolence. Also, is that a child? Or is that like a mask that the woman is wearing where she like took off this mask and she's crying now? Or is she holding her dead child? I really can't tell. I mean, either way, I think it, it says a lot and actually might prove the point of anti-war, but yeah, I'm not a fan of perverse sarcasm. I, I understand sarcasm, but when you're just like joking about stuff like this, it well, doesn't- the idea is that he is not joking about it. Well, yeah, but it's weird to approach a situation so serious from a point of sarcasm. Like I feel sarcasm is generally used in times of comedy and for comedic purposes. I don't really feel like it's generally used like, hey, stop bombing us, please. It's more of like a, a, a short talk or small talk. I don't know. Yeah, it, this piece really creeps me out. I could have gone my whole life without seeing it, but you know, well, I probably wouldn't. I'll probably see it this year in art history anyways. Um, okay, should we move on to the next piece? Yeah. What is the next piece? The girl with the pearl earring. Ooh, I love this one. Okay, so the next piece is The Girl with the Pearl Earring by Vermeer. Yes, that is correct. I love this. It doesn't it kind of look like an album cover. Like yes, I yeah. yeah. Alright, sorry. And if you're listening to this but you don't want to bother to look up the actual paintings, not that I blame you. Um <laughs> The painting is, I mean, you guys will not believe this. It's a girl with a pearl earring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has a black background. Yes. Which we'll get into analyzing in a second, but first we have to read the Wikipedia page about it. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, girl with a pearl earring. In Dutch, Meisje met de pearl. Probably butchered that also. That was 
amazing. Is an oil painting by a Dutch Golden Age painter, Johan Vermeer. Wait, what was the material, what was the medium for the glass piece? Um, I think it was also oil on canvas. Why is it all oil on canvas? Um, I'm not positive. I think a lot of them are. If you are looking for one yeah. of your pieces of artwork to become really relevant in like 500 years, oil on painting is the way to go. Actually, it's probably photography because oil yeah. on painting is the popular thing, but the popular thing now is photography. I, I know. I'm sorry, that was not funny. I meant it as a joke. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> going by various names over the centuries. Really? Various names? Oh, what has it ever okay. been besides that? Maestjam meant to parallel, I'm guessing. It became known by its present title towards the end of the 20th century after the earring worn by the girl portrayed there. The work has been in the collection of right, the Merit Shuis in the Hog since 1902 and has been the subject of various literary treatments. Plus one today. Um, in 2006, the Dutch public selected it as the most beautiful painting in the That's Netherlands. Pretty. I agree. I find this piece really pretty. Above the Mona Lisa, above Starry Night, this is, I think, probably my favorite piece of artwork uh, from the Renaissance. It's just, it's very pretty. There's something surreal about it, and it's definitely idealistic. I mean, her cheekbones are so defined. The contour on it is insane. It is definitely representing an idealistic version of beauty. Um, and I think there's also some historic significance to this. And the fashion of the time, uh, the time of the piece seems to be very much incorporated into the subject. Um, do you want me to go optimistic and then let you take some pessimistic? Or yeah, sure. Okay. Um, this definitely is because idealistic it represents femininity, which above all else seems to be a very strong reoccurring uh, theme in artwork. Uh, I don't know, I don't really think of this as necessarily a super happy or a, suited, a super upset painting, which I think makes it so beautiful. It sort of seems more realistic in a sense because it doesn't feel so forced. It just seems like you called the, the subject's name and she's like turning around and she's like, what? What's going on? Or something like that, you know? Um, there is definitely movement suggested by how she's holding her head at times. You not think she held her head like that for an extended period of time. If this was a model, especially with how heavy that earring was. Um, if it is a pearl. Um, in 2014, Dutch astrophysicist Vincent was that oh, raised doubts about the material of the earring and argued that it looks more like polished tin than pearl. I actually agree with him on that. It looks very chrome. It looks very metallic. I am slightly confused how they got pearl. I think that might be referencing more the shape. But I think as as you're going into pessimistic, that could be a sign of the times almost of hey, this is Pearl, which is something considered very desirable, but it's in actuality, it's it's tin or metal, which might be considered less desirable. So I do find it weird though, that if they were trying to make this 
a replica of a pearl not to paint it white or white metallic or something like that i feel like that would be very easy to sort of enhance the dupe but it seems to be very confident in staying metallic so um there seems to be significant light coming from the left of the painting meanwhile there's a completely black background so I agree. that means that this is very staged it does. It looks like it's in a studio, and there's like she's getting a professional, a professional picture taken of her, which I think is why it kind of looks like an album cover. Mm-hmm. It feels prepared, and yet there is still the sense of motion, of sort of this like what what just happened, mm-hmm. you know. So she has a very beautiful face for just being like quickly turned around and saying what I do not think my facial posture would be anything like that. I mean, black in the foreground, uh, background is never a good thing. Um, but it, it, I, I think that is also, I think it could be just to accentuate the subject more. And definitely the background is not the focus here, so. Um, do you have anything else to say? I mean, this isn't really pessimism, just stating a fact. Uh, the page says a bit more about it, but... She is wearing an exotic dress and an oriental turban. That is the vocabulary other people are using, and I don't want to misquote that. Um, And uh, uh, because this is painted in... Well, I'm not sure where it was painted, but um, uh, Dutch. Okay, so... And it's now in the Netherlands. Um, I definitely, I think, um, go, I'm sorry, I'm going to let you finish your thought, but going back to what I said about fashion being important to the piece, in uh, Slavic, is it Slavic, as you, or more Eastern, Eastern European countries definitely seem to have, in Russia, have a lot of head coverings almost, so Dutch is Eastern, right, or is it Western? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Totally doesn't matter. Just forget that I said that. Okay, continue. Uh, um, regardless, even if this was painted in Eastern Europe, which I doubt, um, having the East Asian clothing and an exotic dress means that she is probably very rich. That is for sure. Which makes it weird that it's not a real pearl. That makes it very confusing. Like, I had not even thought about that yet. If you have the money to buy all the stuff, why are you, why are you having a fake pearl earring? I don't know. Perhaps this means that tin was considered better looking than pearls. Yeah. I mean, I that, honestly, honestly, I think tin does look better, especially when it's it's been processed like that. I mean, I'm not saying tin foil is more attractive than a pearl, but when it when it is shaped like that, I would say that's, I find it more pretty than a weird cream colored circle. I don't know, but that's just me. I'm not a big fan of anything really animal products. So. And I 
think I might have made a mistake. It's possible I referred to this as a portrait before, but this is not a portrait. This is a trony. What is the difference? Um, <laughs> it's not meant to be a portrait. <laughs> this is my me studying for the AP exam. Like, what is that word? <laughs> what? That's a weird spelling. T-R-O-N-I-E. It's your Dutch family. for face. So it's a Dutch portrait, but it's it's not a portrait. Oh man. It's not a portrait. It's like it's not Argentinian. Is it Argentinian Tango? It's it's not Tango, it's Argentinian Tango. I don't know. Does that make sense? I don't know. That mm, that was not a good comparison. Okay. Do you have anything else to say? That is so pretty. All the right. next time we do this segment, yeah, yeah, can you yeah. save that yeah. piece? I'm just gonna write this down right now, but uh, after this, we're gonna move on to the next one. Okay, we wanted to start off by saying that we were gonna analyze The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci which is an incredibly important piece of artwork, but we were so underprepared to talk about it. Oh, excuse me. So we're just going to move on to other pieces. It's definitely a, a beautiful piece of art that is interesting, but we are now moving to The Birth of Venus. The Birth of Venus is a painting by the Italian artist Sandra O. Botticelli, probably made in the mid-1480s. It depicts the goddess Venus arriving at the shore after her birth when she had emerged from the sea fully grown. The painting is in the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, Italy. Another thing to make note of is uh, she arrives on the shore in a giant seashell. Um, the background has what appears to be a forest, probably olives, and um, there are angels or gods on the left side of the image and um, probably another god on the right side of the image that looks more um, like an earth dweller. Um, so I did go to a Princeton art lecture about this piece and is Bolicelli, is that correct? Botticelli. Yes. Botticelli had Venus's hands placed over her breasts and vagina to interest a male audience into continuing to look at the art piece, which is interesting. I feel like that's a kind of weird way to make people interested in your artwork, but I definitely it hints at the, the themes of fertility and femininity and motherhood. So this is like the fourth piece I think we've talked about. No, the third, third, third where femininity is a huge important part of artwork. So I wanted to point that out. Um, and I, I think that's further complemented by the pastels within the piece, which are related to baby work, uh, baby, baby's birth, baby's, <laughs> children, pastels are related to children. For some reason, it's like more pleasing to their eyes. I don't know, I learned about it in sixth grade and I forgot this, but there is a correlation in there somewhere, so. Uh, the left side of the image um, has significantly brighter colors in the background, um, which might Dream. imply divine, heavenly. Um, Ooh, that's an interesting thought. They're like, 
hey, look at this man saving this woman. Happy. Look at this woman. Bad. <laughs> Sorry. I was going. Well, okay. that, that is one way you can interpret it. If one side is less holy than the other. Just saying. Is Botticelli... Botticelli? Is Botticelli male or female? Male. Oh, sorry. It... It... Google's being weird. The right side of the image is also very dark, which might imply that Earth is a bad place, I guess. Oh, that's another way to interpret it. Yeah. Um... Honestly, there's a lot of light and hummingbirds, or no, petals, sorry. There's a lot of petals, and I feel like flowers of such a light color are used to represent success, importance, beauty, positive themes, so. Our chemistry is going so well right now. Do you have anything else to say? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Um, I, I have to be honest, I don't like this piece of art. It's really weird and uncomfortable. Like, it's I, just... Everyone feels so stiff in the painting, and yeah. that's something that we haven't really talked about in the other pieces, even with things that don't exist. It's so weird, because, like, there's... On the woman on the right side, if you are looking at this piece, there is obviously supposed to be movement, because... The way that the blanket and the fabric is moving in the wind and her hair, it's definitely supposed to, uh, um, movement. It's supposed to represent movement, but everybody just seems so still and awkward and uncomfortable. And like the facial structure of the like angel carrying the woman on the left is so uncomfortable. It's like, are you spitting at someone? It's just, it's weird, and there's also this... Honestly, it looks like his mouth is just, like... Spewing he's water. He's gasping for air and then holding it, like... And it's so weird. It's, like... It's just, it's not very angelic. It's not very attractive in the way I think this piece is supposed to be. And then the woman next to him just looks so perplexed. Like, what is going on? <laughs> and it's, like, why do I care about what's going on? And I don't feel like at the birth of Venus... The audience's response should be like, why am I here? I don't want to be here. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird piece. And I also don't find it to be very beautiful to look at, if that makes sense. There's just a lot going on and it's not a lot of things that I want to see. Okay. The persistence of time. The persistence of time. By Salvador Dali. The persistence of memory is waking up for me. I've been saying it wrong this whole episode. Wait, is this? Yeah, it's persistence of memory. Okay. But it has a bunch of clocks, so. Oh, I hate this piece. Oh, it is so weird. I even like abstract art, and I don't like this piece. Alright, um, to clarify, uh, I've been saying the persistence of time this entire episode. Uh, believe it or not, someone on the internet was wrong. It's the persistence of memory. I feel like the persistence of memory is kind of like a double... 
like it, it it's kind of it's not contradicting it's like the opposite of contradicting it's like generally if you still have memory it there's a sense of persistence to it right like if that has remained with you it is a persistent thought persistent thought is memory right yeah. yeah. It also shows a bunch of clocks, and the same thing that you just said about memory could also be said about time. So, is I that mean, like a dead horse too... and like a whoopee cushion? This is <laughs> the most confusing thing ever. It's kind of hard to believe this is the same movement as Guernica. I agree. It's so different. It looks like there's a weird plastic half deflated balloon with like a bottle cap attached to the bottom with a bunch of spiders running over it. And I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on at all. All right, I'm gonna read what it says. The Persistence of Memory is a 1931 painting by artist Salvador Dali and one of the most recognizable works of surrealism. First shown at the Julian Levi Gallery in 1932, since 1934, the painting has been in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. That's the map, right? Uh, it looks like a okay. Oh, uh, sorry, I just got a notification. That was the thing that you heard. To the audience, that is not you. Yeah, right. Which re received it from an anonymous donor. It is widely recognized and frequently referenced in popular culture, and sometimes referred to by the more descriptive titles such as Melting Clocks, The Soft Watches, or The Melting Watches. I'm a fan of Melting Clocks. I think that is a much better name. This is another thing. This is like, this is giving me album cover, but not in a way that I like. This is giving me SoundCloud rapper turns mainstream goth rock album cover. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm getting from this. I'm not a fan of it. But like, somehow weirdly, they'd like condense it into a square, but still keep all the same features and proportions. Do you like, I can, I can see this in like Spotify and you click on it because you're like, oh, cool, indie artist or something. Let's listen to them. And then it's just like a bunch of screaming. That, that's, that's what I'm getting from this. It, 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 it's as ridiculous as a music video. There's no correlation to anything. And it's just sort of everything sort of thrown into there. And the artist assumes you understand what's going on. The first time I saw it, I thought this was a desert because the thing one of the watches is on looks like a dead tree and there's also cliffs in the back on an ocean and while an ocean doesn't mean there is a desert the cliffs kind of look like they would be close to a desert um so i assume this yeah uh, this was very hot that's why the uh, clocks were melting uh, it, believe it or not, clocks do not melt just because it is hot. Is that like a dead horse or is that like a dead duck fur? Like, I'm not sure. It, something seems like, it seems like there's a dead carcass that's been like covered and then a clock was thrown on and it started melting. I'll read the description. Ooh. The well-known surrealist piece introduced the image of the soft melting pocket. 
it epitomizes Dalvi's theory of softness and hardness. I hate how intellectual they're trying to make this sound when it's literally a clock that is melting onto a dead carcass. Which was central to his thinking at the time. Did you just say sensual to his thinking? Which was central. Oh, sorry. I'm like, I don't don't generally think of melting clocks as sensual. (laughs) Sorry. As Don Audes wrote, the soft watches are an unconscious symbol of the relativity of space and time. Oh my a gosh. surrealist meditation on the collapse of our notions of a fixed cosmic order. That is exactly whenever my brother has like asked to interpret a piece of art. He's like, it represents the fleetingness of humanity. The human this, existence. This this description is that exact same energy. It's like they just had this weird idea, threw it onto a canvas, and then tried to make it sound like they knew what they were doing. And nobody believes them, but they don't want to seem unintelligent, so they all just like go along with it. <laughs> this interpretation suggests that Dolly was incorporating an understanding of the world introduced by Albert Einstein's theory of special relativity. How on earth <laughs> does this relate to Einstein? Oh my gosh. Asked by Ilya Prig, oh, oh gosh, Ilya Prigoni, Prigogine, Prigoni, Ilya P. Whether this was <laughs> in fact the case, Dolly replied that the soft watches were not inspired by the theory of relativity, but by the surrealist perception of a camembert melting in the sun. It is possible to recognize a human figure in the middle of the- Wait, can I pause you right there? I love that even the artist was calling out the art historians of saying that is not what I meant at all. (laughs) It is possible to recognize a human figure in the middle of the composition in the strange monster with much texture near its face and much contrast and tone in the picture. Where's the human? Why- I'm not seeing a human. I see the dead creature. That creature is a human. Oh, fun. I mean, I guess. Is it like a dead human covered by this dead animal? <laughs> I'll, I'll continue reading, see if maybe it's explained. Uh, that Dali used in several contemporary pieces to represent himself. The abstract form becoming something of a self portrait, reappearing <laughs> frequently in his work. <laughs> The creature seems to be based on a figure from the paradise section of Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights, which Tali had studied. It can be read as a fading creature, one that often appears in dreams where the dreamer cannot pinpoint the creature's exact form and composition. So basically what he's saying is that... He threw a bunch of shapes onto a canvas because he had a dream about himself and how he cre- could create a self-portrait that was meek, right? No, no, that's not what Dolly's saying. Oh. Dolly is saying, yeah, this is surrealism. It's not really meant to be anything specific. But people are like, I think it's interpreted as dream creatures because when you have dreams, things fade. And Dolly was using that in his... I literally, I love how they're literally telling the artist, like, this is not what you meant. This is a self-portrait of yourself. Like, if if someone ever said that the perseverance, 
persistence of memory was my self-portrait, I would immediately cut them out of my life. Like, I... Mm. When you observe that the creature has one closed eye with several eyelashes. Ow! What? Suggesting the creature. I didn't even see the eye from this. Suggesting oh. that the creature is also in a dream state. Oh my gosh. The iconography may refer to a dream that Dali himself had experienced, and the clocks may symbolize the passing of time as one experiences it in sleep or the persistence of time in the eyes of the dreamer. Oh my gosh. The theories keep going. I just, I feel, okay, I do not like this views, but like if it was just automatically like this is surrealism, I'd be like, okay, this is not my cup of tea, but like you clearly are talented. Go on with your life. But then everybody is like, no, this has a meaning. And then the author came out and was like, no, it doesn't. And then everybody's like, I don't trust you. Actually, here are all of my eight different theories about what you were trying to get at here. One of them being a self-portrait. And in the self-portrait, you are a dream creature that is dreaming. That is dead. <laughs> yes. All right, we have just two more paragraphs. Surrounded by melting clocks, might I add. <laughs> the orange clock at the bottom left of the painting is covered in ants. Oh, so that is the clock, not a whoopee cushion. Okay, wait, I was close. That, I said, I said spiders is ants. Yeah, hey. Pretty close. I understand surrealism. <laughs> Dali often used ants in his paintings as a symbol of decay. Another that insect that is present in the painting is a fly, which sits on the watch that is next to the orange watch. The fly appears to be casting a human shadow as the sun hits it. Really? I that does not, not look human to me. That looks very much fly. Um, oh my. I mean, the resolution isn't great, but I mean, I guess it could be seen as a human. I mean, it, okay, I will give them it looks like a human, but what I think they're not understanding is that the sun is hitting the fly at an angle that it, the shadow is not going to look exactly like a exactly. fly. It's going to look slightly different, and they are interpreting that as human. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. The persistence of memory employs the exactitude of realist painting techniques. What does that even mean? That is the most snobby, I went to Harvard sentence I think I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> to depict imagery more likely to be found in dreams than waking consciousness. Alright, just one more paragraph. The craggy rocks to the right represent the tip of Capitacru Peninsula in northeastern Catalonia. Many of Dali's paintings were inspired by the landscapes of his life in Catalonia. The strange and foreboding shadow in the foreground of this painting is a reference to Mount Pawnee. I feel like this is a really bad acid trip in a painting. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I don't get how are the like art historians turning this like the fly's shadow is a human which is representative of the dead human which is the self-portrait of this uh, of this artist. Frozen dream creature and exact multitude list techniques <laughs> i just um we were attending a, an art lecture together this summer and we kept texting back and forth just like different sentences that we were expecting them to say with the most unnecessarily long intellectual like i'm so much better than you words this is almost identical to something i think you sent me i'm not sure if i still have the screenshots but, like i can try and find it and read it 
Because this sounds exactly like what was going on. Lest we never forget. Lest we never forget. Oh my gosh. No, but you had this one that was better about like the Terra and the ego or something. Um, I'm trying to find it because it was so funny that I want to share it. But I had so many photos. Keep talking, and if I find it, I will bring it up. And if I can't find it in the next, I, I found it. Oh. So, I said these poignant phenomenon display in perverse sarcasm <gasps> the true humility of the fleetingness of the human existence. Whence forth, with an e, the supernatural. Impressively poignant representation depicting the lecturer and his colleagues. Truly logo extra terimitaceous. <laughs> um, the extraneous efforts of the authoritarian oh, right. authoritarianism comes not from the terra but from the ego. Um, the historical roots to our environment. The historical roots oh. to our environmental crisis from the perspective of recessive Christianity. <laughs> of course, lest we never forget the way the sapient Francis was stigmatized by the brutalism of the stars rather than the anachronism of the class office. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love this so much. We need to start just like whenever we text, we just need to make sure it's in the context of a Princeton art professor. <laughs> it'll it'll improve our vocabulary. Also, might make a new few words. Anyways, I just this is definitely not my type of artwork that I would look to when I wanted to view art. But even if it is, like just imagine someone telling you that your own interpretation of your art piece is wrong. Like, I guess, technically, the art is open to interpretation, but, like, if they're completely being this misguided about his purpose, it, it wouldn't so much be if this wasn't their interpretation, but, like, their tone of telling the author that this is actually what he meant is just so weird and uncomfortable. But, like, I don't know. Something... The persistence of memory is an interesting piece, at best. It's almost as crazy the story we came up with last week that that was a good segue that was a good Perfect. segue okay before we wrap up the episode we wanted to talk about last week there was a week break in episode episodes it is still gonna be weekly but because of public domain issues. Last week we wrote our own story where we said one sentence and then the other brother said another sentence. We were then planning on analyzing it afterwards and that was gonna be the episode, but it got so insane that I did not want to publish it because I don't think anybody would be able to follow along at all. So we wanted to give a brief synopsis of our story from last week. We do. Uh, okay. Right. Wait, what? I'm not sure if we really do, but, oh. um, we can tell you the whole thing later. But, um, it's a story of 
a thief who steals jewels um, from a museum. In Los Angeles. Los Angeles. It's not that important that it's in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, we just say Los Angeles a lot. Um, <laughs> and then he steals them and goes to Asia and lives without them. And it's told from multiple stories, like, or besides. This like, is the worst. Okay, no. This makes it sound so. That makes it sounds like it's an actual like story. Here's what happened. Okay. <laughs> this. The royal family of Belgium had a family YouTube channel that was about to be demonetized because they were losing relevance. So in order to for their audience to stay interested in them, they flew their family jewels to a museum in Los Angeles. And before they were set down to be presented, a thief comes in, swoops them up, flies to LAX, Overtakes to LAX. No, he oh, goes to LAX. Goes to LAX. Overtakes a plane on the tarmac, flies to China, but the LAPD gets into a plane beside them and they play bumper cars in the air to their way to China. Things get very crazy. We just have one sentence at a time. Yes. At one point, TMZ then makes a story about how this is directly related to the royal family of Belgium's dislike for the Kardashians. <laughs> Somehow the royal family of Norway got involved, I don't completely remember, but pretty much that started a war because of the TMZ article, which had over like 3,000 casualties, which the one death of those 3,000 casualties was the estranged brother of the thief in China, where he flew to so that he would not get persecuted for stealing the thieves, was then arrested, but then killed by the royal family of Norway, and they sent in a replacement brother, a replacement estranged brother, to fill a void in his life. And I forget what happened after that. So, it's yeah. crazy. It, if it, pardon me, kind of wants to publish it now, just because it sounds so interesting. But it was so bad. It's not going to be this week. It was so bad. I'm definitely not going to delete it though. podcast well first off thank you so much for following us in this insane cacophony of sounds um as we interpreted art and explained our own short story that we wrote about the kardashians and the royal family of belgium and how it all relates to an art thief um to finish off the episode my brother is going to try and read off dad jokes from a website until i laugh at them because we are not good at coming up with intro or outro ideas. And so we're desperate and this is the only thing we could come up with. So like it. And it's the second episode. Yeah. All right. Um, what rock group has four men that don't sing? No, 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 not the ones I've heard already. Oh, okay. I'm not gonna laugh at those. All right. What do sprinters eat before a race? Pasta. Nothing. They past <laughs> what concert cost is 45 cents 50 cent featuring nickelback 
That is so disgusting. <laughs> what do you call a mac and cheese that gets all up in your face? A mac and sneeze? I don't know. Too close for comfort food. That was just bad. I think that one was just bad. Like one or two more. Why do melons have weddings? Because they cantaloupe. Ah! <laughs>